when people close to us behave immorally, we are inclined to protect them, even if their crimes are particularly heinous. That is the title of the research we're going to be discussing on today's episode. So welcome back to another episode of Bed Letter. I'm your host, Christian Ashleman, and this is the podcast where we chat a little bit about human psychology and mental health, social change, and cultural trends. This is the eighth episode of Bed Letter. If you enjoy what you've heard on previous episodes and what you hear on this episode, be sure to follow on whatever platform you prefer. Bed Letter is found on Spotify, iTunes, YouTube, Google Podcasts, and a bunch of other um, smaller platforms as well. Subscribing to the podcast is definitely the best way to stay up to date as new episodes are released. And another way you can kind of follow and stay up to date with what we've got going on on the show is to follow me on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook, whichever you prefer. It's just at C. Ashleman, at C-A-S-H-L-I-M-A-N. Those places are also a fantastic way to engage and talk, generate discussion, talk about your thoughts and feelings um, when it comes to what we have chatted about and the topics we're talking about on the show. So today's topic is all about turning a blind eye. And I found this article, again, it's when it's titled, When People Choose, or When People Close to Us Behave Immorally, We Are Inclined to Protect Them, Even If Their Crimes Are Particularly Heinous. First of all, I love that it uses the word heinous in an article, like a psychology article. I love that word. It's hilarious. Um, but yeah, this article was written by Matthew Warren, who is a writer for the British Psychological Society. Um, the Research Digest. We've pulled articles from this place before. Very, It's a great place to get uh, psychology news. And um, it was published on September 30th, 2019, so just a few days ago. And it looks at a study that was conducted at the University of Michigan by Aaron Weidman and some colleagues of his. And it's a series, they do a series of 10 different studies throughout the entire, you know, overarching main study. And it involves, the study involved almost 3,000 participants, so quite a few people right off the bat. And what they wanted to ask was how people would respond if someone close to them had committed a crime, and what they would do. Would they lie to the police about it? Would they rat the person out? Kind of what, 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 what would their response be to that? And so they started off by having part, the, the 3,000 participants name nine different people in their life. And these, part, these people that they named and wrote on the list ranged from distant relations, such as, you know, people that you barely know, like your, you know, your postman maybe, or your just, just like random people out, out and about. Could be somebody who bags your groceries at the store, something like that, all the way up to people who you are very close to, such as your spouse, your family members, your friends, people like that. So they, they ranged from people you barely know to people you know very well. So they had them write nine people down, and they had them imagine that these nine individuals were had committed a crime. And they had them imagine different kinds of crime, um, starting from low severity, such as, and the example it gives in the in the research article in the article is um, for low severity is illegally downloading like media content, music, movies, stuff like that, to high severity. And the example it gives for that is burglary. Which I thought it was kind of funny that they went with uh, burglary for the high severity uh, crime in this case, just because, I mean, burglary is definitely an awful crime, don't get me wrong. It's definitely, you know, very morally not okay. 
but it's also not a crime where you're physically you're not necessarily but you're not you're not really physically harming someone right you're not you're not putting someone's life at in jeopardy or their safety in jeopardy um it's more of a it's more of a you know a crime of opportunity or or a not even necessarily that but it's just not necessarily as as severe of a crime as certain other things would be so I, I thought it was interesting that they went with burglary as a high severity, um, just off of the, just out of the gate on this one. And I wonder if the answers would change if that perceived crime, because these are just imagined crimes. I wonder if that, if their answers would change at all, if it was a way more severe crime than burglary, like murder or, you know, something like that. But, uh, but yeah, it gives burglary as the example there. So, um, after imagining, Participants asked what, after imagining the crime, sorry, participants asked what they would say if they were approached by police officers. Would they tell the truth or lie and say they didn't know anything about the crime, they had no idea? And also, it doesn't really mention at this point whether or not there were any other options to tell the police. I don't know if, like, on their questionnaires, I don't know if there were more options than just... I, I tell the truth exactly how it was, or I totally say, I say I have no idea what happened, and I know nothing, and I lie to them. Because I feel like there's a whole other route you could go with, with lying, where it's instead of saying, I don't know, you make up an entire you know fabricated story that is in support of the person you care about that's committed this crime, right? I mean, that that happens probably more often than not. And so they don't really say if that's a... Um, if they don't really mention if like fake stories and stuff like that is something that is an option in this research. But yeah, their options were to tell the truth or to lie and say they know nothing. And what they found is that the participants were more likely to lie when someone close to them had committed a crime in these imagined crime scenarios. As compared to when distant acquaintances, such as, like I said, the postman or the, the uh, you know people you barely know at all, had committed a crime. So participants were like were more likely to lie when someone close to them committed a crime as compared to when a distant acquaintance had committed a crime. And this was only the beginning of the research series. Like I said, there was a whole slew of 10 different little micro studies within this, this overall study. And I think that it's good that they did that off the, off the, off the bat just because that initial finding of participants being more likely to lie for someone who's close to them isn't necessarily like a groundbreaking find. I don't think it's that that insane. Um, just on the surface level, it kind of makes sense. I mean, of course, people who who are who love you and support you are going to want they they care about you. They're going to want you to, you know, whatever the crime is, they don't want you to go to jail. They don't want you to have to experience those things. And so, it makes sense that they would lie for you. But like I said, this is just the beginning of the research. And they had a whole bunch of this. This was just the first tier of those ten tiers of of, of research. So, um, the studies moving forward wanted to look at more at this effect, right? This more more at this uh, at these this correlation here. So they kind of took that what they found in the first study and they extrapolated it across the rest of the studies and kind of picked it apart and found different little pieces that might point as to why this is happening. And uh, what they what they found is that participants were more likely to protect close people who had committed sexual harassment crimes 
And again, that was ranging between low severity crimes, such a, and the example it gives for low severity in sexual harassment case is whistling, as opposed to high sec or high severity crimes. And that example they give is groping. And once again, I still think it's I think that they're they're ranging their system of high severity to low severity is a little off here. Um, I think it seems kind of weird that those are the two the two ends because I think there's a lot more before whistling, a lot more after groping. But it also is sexual harassment, not necessarily sexual assault that they're looking at for this specific piece of the uh, study. So that might be part of it as well. But I do wonder if this is because they can't really see the person that's close to them like actually doing that crime. Like they can't see that person actually committing that crime. As in, and what I mean by that is it's kind of like how parents would be um, quick to say, you know, my kid would never do that. They would never commit this crime or my, my husband or wife or whatever it is would never, ever do that. I can never see them doing that in a million years, right? It's just beyond reason that they would ever, that they could even see that happening. And so I wonder if that is kind of why they, that they found this because it doesn't really say how they, and, and another part of this is they didn't, doesn't really say how they envisioned these crimes as in, and what I mean by that is, are, are the people who are imagining these crimes, are they imagining a scenario where they're standing by, they're, they're, they're a bystander of, of the actual crime, where they see the person that they care about commit the crime? Or is it more of a situation that they're imagining, like the police telling them that this significant other has, or this person that's close to them has committed this crime, where they didn't actually see it? It doesn't really clarify fully on how... The person's imagining the crime and I feel like that would make a huge difference because if someone's just telling you that someone that you are very close to has committed this crime you might be very quick to say that's not possible they would never do that but if you actually see it while you still are probably going to protect them and there's a good chance you might lie for them and stuff even if you see it there's a way higher chance I feel that you will go out of your way to potentially say yeah that happened I, I I don't I didn't think that could ever happen I didn't think that they were capable of that but they did that because I mean you saw it with your naked eyes so um, I don't know that can make a huge difference just in the way that they're envisioning these crimes happening another little tidbit that they added in for one of the other study levels is that they found individual differences such as gender um, political leanings and like you know morals like different different moral levels different moral uh different moral ideologies and stuff those kinds of things didn't really affect whether or not somebody would protect the person who is close to them or not which i found that to be very fascinating i thought that maybe especially like morals or religious background type stuff maybe i thought maybe that would affect it but uh they said that in the study they found that it did it, that didn't affect whether or not they'd protect the person they cared about or not um, those things didn't play too much of a role. And part of, one of the reasons that it, this research gives for the participants believing that uh, or believing in the fact that they should lie for someone who is close to them was that they thought the people who were lying for them kind of believed that this was sort of a like a protector role that they were taking on, kind of like this larger, more all-encompassing role where they're going to protect this person. This person is theirs to protect. Where inversely, lying to cover for someone who you don't know, lying to cover for someone who you have never met or barely know, was oftentimes in this study seen as something that was bad for all of society. And I think that kind of goes back to my previous point, the 
point I made about, you know, my kid would never do that kind of thing is, you know, oftentimes in situations of crime, especially in like drug related crime um, and in different things, those things can be seen. If it's somebody who's close to you, it can be seen as something that can be fixed, something especially that maybe you can help that person fix and eventually potentially. And whereas if you are lying to protect somebody who you don't know, that, you know, oftentimes that person, since they're not close to you and they're committing crime, it's, I mean, it's just seen as, that person's seen as broken, unfix, unfixable, danger to society, um, you know, so it's, it's really easy to fall into those kind of ideations, even if it's two people who have committed the exact same crime, you're going, you might be more inclined to lie for the person who's close to you because you see them as, be, you know, you might be able to fix them. You might be, able, well, not necessarily fix them, but help them find the track that they need in order to become, um, you know, fall out of this habit, whatever it is. And so uh, I think that that, that protector role of, of that finding that they made was pretty significant. And the article does go on to say that despite the reluctance to snitch on family members, the the people who were potentially going to snitch did understand that regardless of who was committing the crime, whether it was someone who was close to them or someone who was they barely knew, regardless of that, they did understand that the crime was bad. There was no there wasn't like a a demeaning of the fact that that crime like if it in the in the fact of like the sexual groping the person who was potentially going to lie to the cops for their family member would did understand that that was a bad thing to do it wasn't it wasn't them saying well this it wasn't even a big deal you know it was it was along the lines of yes they understood it was a bad crime but they cared about that person so they're trying to lie about it and then as they moved through these different studies these 10 different studies Further studies found that um, people would often justify that lack of action, that lack of coming forward and saying, yes, this person did it and here's what happened and here's the truth. They would justify that lack of action by saying that they would confront the person themselves, right? And this kind of goes back to the point I made uh, a minute ago where you know you, you see it as potentially something you can fix, you know, something you can take where you can take matters into your own hands. And I think, well, the researchers, first of all, the researchers believed that this justification, this justification, sorry, had a twofold perceived benefit. And by perceived benefit, I mean it's a benefit that the person who is lying might not be consciously thinking of, but it's, it's a benefit where they might be, well, first of all, that they might be, that lying might allow them to maintain this self-image of being a moral person by being taking on that protector role. So having the protector role in this situation might allow that person who's lying to the cops about if, if their family member or whatever committed this crime. It helps them maintain this self-image of being a moral human being who is who is taking on this protector role and helping out their family and help, helping out this person that they love so much. And the second tier of that, this justification, basically allows the person to preserve and potentially deepen that relationship with that person. So whether or not they actually are consciously realizing, hey, I want to preserve this relationship, I want to deepen this relationship, they might just um, subconsciously have those things in their mind and want to save this or like protect this person because they want to preserve their relationship to that person. And I, and that kind of makes, that does make sense in the sense that like, if you know you were going to snitch on someone who's in your family, 
I feel like you would understand that that's going to damage that relationship to some degree. I mean, it can always be repaired, but that could be seen as damaging on a conscious level. And the research speculates towards the end that this could be why family and friends of people who are in power oftentimes don't come forward when those people who are in power are making immoral decisions. And I mean, as onlookers, we see we see this in in the media today with, with you know with the Epstein case and all this stuff, where there's there's plenty of people I'm sure who who knew about what was going on and they knew um, they knew what was happening. And as onlookers, we say they should come forward. That's just as bad almost if they don't come forward. You know what's wrong with them? They should come forward and and talk about it and say something. And the scary thing about it, though, that this research shows is that if you put any of us in that same exact situation, there is a, a human chance that we would do the exact same thing and protect this person we cared about and protect this loved one. And so that's kind of what this research really outlines is that this is a, this is a human tendency and it has potential benefits, but it also has really big potential pitfalls as well. And so there's a small bit at the end where it does talk about how sitting down and kind of removing yourself from the situation removing yourself from the potential of what this person did, um, your, if a loved one committing a crime, removing yourself from the situation, distancing yourself from it, and thinking about yourself in the third person and kind of removing, moving back a bit help, or helped the person have a tendency to protect less. So to actually be, come forward with the truth and come forward with um, what actually happened. And so I, I think that's very interesting with the with you know removing yourself and thinking in the third person and thinking well what would be potentially the right thing to do or what would be the moral thing to do or even more depending on what the crime is just kind of like thinking of yourself in the third person what what would I want myself to do what would I want this person to do if I wasn't this person what would I say I want this person to do I don't know if that all makes sense but yeah it, it's it's an interesting. Um, kind of self-removal, look at the entire big picture, look at the entire situation move that actually helps to lower that tendency to lie to the authorities and and protect someone who has committed a especially ridiculous crime. So what did this research do well? I think that first of all, the thing that they did the best was that they had a, a multi-level study. They, they didn't just ask the first question you know, that first question of do people lie more when someone that they love is, is, uh, has committed a crime, right? I mean, yeah, they asked that question first and they found research on that, but then they took it deeper and deeper and they asked questions about the, the sexual harassment specifically. And they, they, you know, asked all kinds of different questions and brought in all these different levels of the study. I mean, 10 different, 10 different little iterations of the study that comprised the entire thing. And I think that having a multi-level study like that allows you to diversify your research and have a more all-encompassing research that can be applied to many more different situations. But I, and I also think that another thing they did really well is that they had a lot of people. They didn't just have, they, oh, we got 200 people. I mean, they had almost 3,000 people um, in this study. And I think that that's a very solid thing. A lot of studies just go with 150, you know, 100 people, 200 people, whatever. And not that that's bad. You can get a good sample size off of that depending on the populations you're you're measuring. But they had to pull... I mean, to begin with, if they're trying to measure mass-scale population, you do need a lot more people. So they, they did, and they are kind of trying to measure that. So having 3,000 makes sense. But I'm really glad that they actually did that. They actually went 
the extra mile. They spent the money to to get because it does you know it starts to cost more money. You get all these people. You have to deal with all these surveys and research and hours and time and looking all this. And so I'm. It really is a positive thing that they got so many people, so many different types of people, um, almost three thousand different people to you know look at this type of thing. Another thing that I think this research did well, and this is kind of a double-edged sword, um, bittersweet, is that they chose a very simple method of taking in the data. Because with that many people, you do need a somewhat simple method of of pulling in data. And that simple method was obviously doing questionnaires, having the people sit down and write down those nine names, and imagining these crimes. It's a very it's a very simple method. It's a very uh, you can you can uh, repeat this study, you can duplicate this study, do it again in a very simple way. And I think that that's a very helpful thing that this research did really well, but at the same time it's also something that this research that that might have a pitfall for this research because there there is a big potential for real-world situations to go down completely differently, right? And the researchers actually suggested that um, people underpredicted their willingness to lie to the police for their family in this research. And what I mean by that is that people actually they predicted that people would actually lie even more, a lot more than in in real life, in real life situations than just in this situation than in just what this research so, shows. Which I actually thought it'd be the other way, but when I when you, when you sit and think about it, I guess that does make sense. And obviously, all of this depends on what the crime is, and what the situation is, and what the per who the person is, and all of these things. But there's another interesting finding. That's just something I think that the those are things that I think that you know the research did really well, as well as things that the the research kind of didn't fully touch on. But another thing I think they could have done better is, you know, looking at the parameters for the severity of the crimes that they were looking at. And I kind of mentioned this a few times throughout this, but I don't think it was awful what they what they chose to have as severe and, and not severe, but it was somewhat, I think, lackluster and a little unimpactful um, because there's a lot worse crimes that are committed that need to be brought into light. And um, they don't really fully touch on those. I mean, there's it would be really interesting to see what the results would be for higher tiers of crime, like like uh, more dangerous stuff, like sexual assault, murder, um, you know, large scale embezzlement of money and, and stuff like that. I, I think it'd be very interesting to see what people's tendencies would be on that. Um, and it and also this this study does not mention any sort of you know drug related crimes. It doesn't talk about anything like that. And I think there'd be a big tendency to cover for a person in a especially in a drug related crime, right? Especially with what I was saying before, how that person's seeing that other person who's committed this crime as you know, oh, I can I can be I can protect this person so that I can be the one to help fix them instead of the legal system fixing them, and. I, I don't know. I, the drug the drug thing would be very interesting, a very interesting thing to see what the responses would be on that. But, uh, you know, it's 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 really hard to say. So go out and, you know, whenever someone you know it does something immoral, rat everyone out, you know, snitch on everybody. Because I don't think that's really the solution. I don't think that's I don't think that's a solution at all. Um, but at the same time, I think it's very good to be aware of human tendencies. I think it's a really good thing to be aware of you know the the what you have to work with what what your human mind is um, more often going to do than not and 
I think it's important to be able to know things like this because it allows you to have the ability to separate yourself from a situation and ask the bigger questions. Like, does the crime um, seriously harm someone? Is it is it worth it to report this person? Is it worth it to potentially ruin this relationship? Is it worth it to potentially um, let life for this person and be implicated yourself? Is it worth it to um, allow this person? Is, is is you lying going to help or hurt this person? Is the legal punishment and the legal ramifications of this that this person's doing is it suited to the crime that they did? You know, these are all good questions to be asking. I mean, what's the reason behind you covering for this person and potentially, like I said, implicating yourself? Because oftentimes, I mean, in, in certain situations, turning the blind eye will and, and saying, you know, that, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll take on the responsibility of fixing this person or helping this person out. That oftentimes that will go the wrong way. That'll go south. And either you'll never get around to it. You won't be diligent enough. And sometimes you can, you know, sometimes it can even work the opposite direction where you're just becoming an enabler for that person. And so it can, and that just continues to lead down a bigger criminal road that we don't want to go down. And so, you know, every situation is different. Seeing things from a leveled perspective can help, like the third person thing that we talked about earlier. Um, that, like it showed us, you know, le- stepping back, looking at the bigger picture and understanding that bigger picture um, helps to helps to kind of solve this problem. But every situation is very different. Every, there's not one blanket statement that answers all the questions. And uh, But, you know, you, you just do the best with what you're given. And I think that's where I'm going to wrap up this episode. Um, if you enjoyed listening, be sure to follow the podcast on whatever platform you prefer. I really appreciate it. Like I said, Bedletter is found on Spotify, iTunes, YouTube, Google Podcasts, and several other smaller podcasting platforms. Um, if you found this interesting... Uh, I really appreciate you guys sharing it with you know your family, your friends, anybody you know who loves podcasts, anybody you know who's interested in psychology, the human experience, um, the stu- you know all these different things that we're th- we've talked about. We've got a lot more different topics to come. There's an endless pool of topics that have to do with the human mind and behavior and and how we perceive it all. And I'm really excited to you know, get in those as we move along. So you can follow me on social media and stay up to date to stay up to date with the show. I'm on Instagram the most, but I'm on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, just at C. Ashleman. Uh, like I said, I, I'm on Instagram the most. I really like, I love photography, so I spend a lot of time on there. That's where I update the most. But I really appreciate you guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. I love you. Have an awesome week, and I will see you next time on Bed Letter.